It's the year 2031. The solar panel ban is in full force as the government desperately tries to fund the now state-owned electricity grid. Homes are being raided and solar panels impounded, leaving many vulnerable people without power. If your power goes out, remain calm. As temperatures rise, we have seen many residents move underground to survive. ...or neighbours who may be vulnerable if exposed to extreme heat. Twelve people have died as temperatures reach 50 degrees in Sydney's longest ever heat wave. And with so many residents without power, this number is likely to increase. Underground resistance group, the Solonauts, are speaking out. This message was released by the Radical Renewable Energy Group earlier today. This type of disaster is inevitable so long as the Australian government maintains its archaic and oppressive regime of unethical, unsustainable and unaffordable state-controlled fossil fuel energy. It's time to return power to the people and allow Australians to harness the sun safely above ground. 50 degree temperatures, subterranean communities, impounded solar panels. Is this what the future holds? This is Think Sustainability. I'm Nina It's a Tuesday afternoon in 2019, and I'm in an office building in Piermont, one of those fancy new ones that have shared working spaces, hot desks, and long communal working tables. The building's modern and predictable, except for a solar panel in a box that's sitting in the lobby. Because this isn't just any solar panel. It's a solar panel from the future. So this is a time when solar panels have become illegal to use because they don't want people generating their own power. The solar panel has a sticker on it which says police aware. Um, So it's an impounded solar panel. This is the Museum of Futures. And I'm here with Claire Marshall, the museum's curator of sorts. We're talking about a not-so-far-off world where solar energy is illegal. But this world isn't devoid of all hope. There is an underground kind of resistance movement called the Solonauts that kind of keep using solar power. They keep that, that, that knowledge and that technology alive and eventually the power shifts and solar technology comes, becomes available to be freely used again. And anyone who was against climate change or was a climate change denial or instituted any policies against solar energy actually gets charged with crimes against humanity. Back in the studio, Claire and I have left behind the Museum of Futures, but we're with another one of Claire's (laughs) creations. Um, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself and also who you're holding. Oh, (laughs) Uh, my name is Claire Marshall. And at the moment, I'm holding my one-month-old son called Ziv. Ziv had a bit of a cold when Claire came in, so you can hear him breathing through his blocked nose in the background. Uh, And do you want to know what I do? Yeah, what do you do? I don't know what I do. Um, What do I do? Well, I guess I'm talking to you today as the creator of the Museum of Futures. And, and yeah, the interesting thing is that people are really curious because... It's hard enough to imagine what I'm going to be doing in a month's time, let alone in five or ten or twenty years' time, right? One thing that I've been looking at is stories help. 
because stories help us create empathy with, you know, the characters in the story and, and everything. Um, so what I'm trying to do, I think, with the museum is I'm trying to use objects that are even more, I'm hoping, evocative than a story to say this is a potential story from the future. This is a potential future and here is a manifestation of it. Do you want that future? And hopefully that will make people reflect and kind of go, no. One of the displays in the Museum of Futures is called Air Quality in Smokes. Basically, I was thinking, if we're talking about air quality, what is the most provocative item I could think of? Like, what is the thing that would make my heart do a flip? And I saw these um, toddler anti-pollution masks online and I just felt sick to my stomach. Like, why do they exist? In the Museum of Futures display, the air mask is tiny and covered in a rubber duck print. And the idea that, like, my child would need to wear, like, an anti-pollution mask on our walk to daycare, like, that's frightening. Like, that's really, I don't know, that's really, that scares me a lot. In the same museum display box as the mask is a canister of Oz Air. That, That air canister that is in there is a real product that I got that people in India are using to get from their car to their office block. Like that to me is frightening as hell. And it's not oxygen. It's just air. Like they literally just take air. In the, They've got a plant, I think, somewhere near the Blue Mountains. They just take air and put it in a can. And like sell it, it. Yeah, and sell it. There's no medicinal benefits. You're not getting extra oxygen or anything. You are just getting clean air because if you live in India, you cannot – like. It is such a problem that it's taking like 10 years off people's life expectancy. Like, that's crazy. Sitting on a sofa in the reception of the Piermont office block, the air is cool, clean and air-conditioned. But the path from the front of the building with its upmarket cafe to the working spaces behind me is littered with objects from the future. Objects Claire hopes those who work here will stop to look at and think about. I guess the raison d'etre for the Museum of Futures and what we're hoping that it will achieve is to give the building a mandate to change. The museum exhibits all have scannable codes that prompts you to answer questions. Questions like, do you think everyone in this building should use renewable energy? If enough people say we want this building to commit to using, you know, clean energy or to recycling more streams or whatever, that then the sustainability or the facilities manager can go, this is what the people want and therefore, you know, they have a bit of a a bit more power behind them. She's called it Museums of the Future and yet it's, uh, (laughs) it's not really in any kind of obvious sense a museum. This is Tanya Leinbach a research assistant in the Faculty of Transdisciplinary Innovation at UTS. But it's a playful kind of use of the word and it's a playful use of objects in that environment and it's a, but it's provocative and it's got a purpose. A purpose which might be more important now than ever. We live in a time now where we are grappling with really complex challenges. Um, Look at like our food systems or our waste systems or plastic pollution in the ocean or poaching or deforestation or species extinction. I mean, there's so many 
really difficult, very complex, very big challenges. And while science is good at identifying and understanding these problems, science alone can't solve them. Science is really struggling to connect with a general public. It's not easy. And many scientists face this issue of not wanting to, I mean, their reputation is in danger of, you know, being damaged if they become advocates or activists. That's not a problem so much for artists. And not to say that artists need to take up science, but certainly, you know, there is the potential for artists to help us understand the science. Tanya says this isn't about changing the way we do science, or even convincing people that science is right. It's simply about taking the science and finding ways to connect it with people's imaginations. And I think that's such an important part of you know, what being human is about. You know, we've done it for thousands of years is to imagine ourselves in other people's shoes. It's the part about empathy. It's about, um, well, what would it be like if this, you know, it's science fiction. I mean, science fiction for 100 years has done that. So what we're just seeing is this sort of natural evolution of science fiction. And in fact, what we have in the in literature now is cli-fi. You know, we've got a whole incredible genre now, which is about climate change in fiction. And some amazing novels coming out that are doing that is doing that, but you know a lot of it's pretty grim. <laughs> a lot of sci-fi is is quite dystopic, but I love what Claire's doing, which is definitely a pretty interesting kind of binary that she's looking at. You know, you could have it this way, or you could have it this way. So far, I've only told you about the Museum of Future's dystopias: impounded solar panels, air masks for toddlers. These items are in black boxes. So this is a black one, so it's this a negative a, This is a negative future. But there are white boxes in the Museum of Futures too. White ones are utopian, kind of positive futures, if we tackle climate change and do something about it. This object is a scale model of what's known as a communal autonomous vehicle, or CAVI. CAVIs were introduced into Australian cities in 2025, but became widespread by the end of the decade. Communal share bikes, scooters and skateboards helped residents get to the end of their street, where cabbies then provided a transport solution to the local transport hub. At a hub, residents could then access buses, high-speed trains and even light aircraft. As residents began to eschew personal vehicle ownership, many residential roads around the city were repurposed as green corridors or urban farming projects. While cabbies provided bridging transport between streets and local transport hubs, they also unexpectedly fostered community relations. Many cabbies became a place for residents to catch up or borrow a book from the cabbie library, or for students to work on their studies during their commute. On an interesting note, the word cavo became popular during the late 2020s as a way of describing someone who lived near you and with whom you were friendly. Prominent language researchers say that cavo is a synonym for the word neighbour, but others have argued that the word described an entirely new and organic relationship between people, which more accurately translated to community friend. Claire says that choosing her favourite object in the museum is like choosing a favourite child, but she does like the cavi. Because I love the idea that, like, you know, drink driving isn't a thing. 
because like no one drives, right? Like at the end of a night, you've got to be careful what what communal autonomous vehicle you get into. So like do you get into the like Jesus sings or do you get into <laughs> the like free condoms? And that's a great kind of experience I think for people to just to muse upon is oh yeah this this is a scenario of the future and it's not that far away and it's not that hard to imagine. But art doesn't have to end at imagination. Artists for centuries ask big questions of the world. This is Claire again with little Ziv in the background. Art, sure, can create beautiful things that we just love to look at, but even that makes us question, well, why do we think it's beautiful? What, what does that hit in us that is human? But I think the art that I love personally is art that makes me consider something of the wider world that, you know, like, okay, well, what would AI look like if we didn't value diversity? Like, that's a big question. And there are artists who are looking at that. And so it was funny when I emceed this event. It was an event for artists and people in the industry. (laughs) I went on a little rant at the end, like I am prone to do, and basically just said, you know, you guys have artists as artists. Potentially, oh my God, you are so loud. Um, (laughs) That you guys as artists potentially have one of the most important jobs in this world. And that is you need to hold technology to account. You need to say just because we have it, should we use it? And, And how should we use it? And how do we make it, how do we use technology in a way that makes the world better for everybody? So... To me, that's why art is important, is because those are big questions and we need to all answer them, not just some white men in Silicon Valley or some white men who run the government. Everybody needs to be involved. I don't know, I feel like it's sort of part of my duty is to try and get, you know, the not billionaires of the world to think about the future and and feel like they've got a sense of agency in it and that, you know, that they can make some decisions about what future that they want and have agency to enact change. You've been listening to Think Sustainability, which is made in the studios of 2SER with the support of the Institute for Sustainable Futures. This show is made on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose people's sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nina Kopel. Thanks for listening.